heart for the mission of the church is a heart for sinners, a heart for the world, and a heart overflowing with compassion. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we come to this text this morning, this this event in Jesus's life and the great crowd that gathered around him at the sea, Father, show us his heart for what would become the mission of the church. Show us, Lord, our need to seek him that our heart would be his heart, a heart for sinners, a heart for the world, a heart overflowing with compassion. Father, I would pray that you would guide each one of us as we trust the Holy Spirit to impart his word to our hearts. I trust you, Heavenly Father, to guide me as your preacher this morning. May you be glorified and may we see Jesus. Praying in his name, amen. Would you please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3 as we read verses 7, chapter 3, 7 through 12. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. In 1980, I moved to Knoxville to attend graduate school, and I found the church and joined this church, Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church. After Ann and I married, she joined me at Cedar Springs. We became members, and what we discovered at Cedar Springs was a church that was not only Presbyterian and Reformed and soon became part of our denomination, the PCA, but we found the church that had a heart for missions. They had a huge and infectious missions program. And Renee and I wrong. And we've been blessed here at Covenant. In 1985, when we came here, we found another church that had an infectious heart for missions. We began our Heart for Missions in Knoxville. We're continuing our Heart for Missions, growing and maturing here in Rock at Covenant. We sang, engages our hearts. And that's the question for us today. Is that true? Do you, do we have a growing and maturing heart for the mission of the church to go forth and make disciples from the nations. In this passage in Mark chapter 3, upon reading it, you may be asking the question, this is not a passage about missions, I beg to differ. 
The mission to which our Lord will give his church after his resurrection is anticipated in this passage of Scripture. We are shown Jesus' heart for missions. We're shown in three dimensions. His heart for sinners, his heart for the world, and his heart overflowing with compassion. First, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. Look at verse 7. Earlier in Mark, we observed a pattern of our Lord. He would preach, he would heal, he would cast out demons, and then he would withdraw to either the sea, to the wilderness, or to a mountain. For example, in the event where he encountered the paralytic in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, our Lord healed the paralytic and then he withdrew to the sea. And this pattern is repeated here in chapter 3. Previously, in verses 1 through 6, we saw Jesus in the synagogue and he healed the man with the withered hand. And now in our text this morning, verses 7 through 12, after ministering in the synagogue, he withdraws to the sea. So we have to ask the question, why did he withdraw to the sea? In 1989, the well-known and well-respected Billy Graham held a crusade for an entire week here in Little Rock. Maybe you remember that. The evangelistic crusade that took place, there are pictures available online, and I actually Googled that and looked at one just to remind myself. And sure enough, the pictures taken at that crusade show a full war memorial stadium. Why war memorial stadium? Because it was the only venue in Little Rock that would be large enough to accommodate such a great crowd. War memorial was a venue fit for a crusade, and the seashore was a venue fit for Jesus's ministry to a great crowd. And yes, the buses did wait in 1989 at the crusade. The great crowd that sought Jesus in verse 7 was a crowd fit for a seashore, not for a synagogue. Who sought him? Sinners. Note, every individual that Jesus encountered, every human being that has ever born, been before Jesus is a sinner. He's the only one that lived and walked this earth as a perfect, sinless man. And as sinners, this great crowd that came to him at the seashore, that followed him there, had many, many needs, physical and spiritual, needs seen and unseen, needs known and unknown. Jesus' heart is shown in eliminating a barrier, and that barrier was a crowded and restrictive synagogue that would hinder him engaging sinners. So why did Jesus leave the synagogue? Well, I think part of the reason is that was his pattern. He would minister, then he would withdraw. But I think there's something else going on here, that, that Jesus wanted the crowd to be able to come to him. He wanted to be able to engage the crowd. And it simply was not fit for a synagogue, but for a seashore. John 4 helps us see Jesus' heart 
in eliminating barriers to engage sinners. You remember John 4. It's the story of the woman at the well, the, the Samaritan woman that came to Jesus. Although Jesus had to put up barriers to avoid dealing with her, and what were those reasons? Well, she was a woman, and secondly, she was a despised, in the Jewish context, Samaritan, and thirdly, she was a really sinful, immoral, sexually immoral woman. Three strikes, she was out. Jesus, however, did not put up or not let any of those things be barriers to him. He did point out her sin. She said, this man knows everything about me. But Jesus did not condemn her. What he did was he offered her life. He offered her water, not water from this well, but everlasting water. He offered her himself. Jesus engaged the sinner. No barriers, not even her sin, and offered her life. What barriers might we erect to insulate us from sinners? For example, a prejudice, perhaps. Fear, a sinner's sin and sinful lifestyle. Lack of love for the lost may be a barrier. Selfishness, and we could go on and live host of other barriers that we put up keep us from having to deal with a sinner. There's something else those, those barriers do. Prevents us from sharing Christ with the sinner. The barrier works both ways. Think of individuals in your sphere of influence, at work, in your neighborhood, at school? Where might you be erecting a barrier to keep from having to engage them in our culture? My, oh my, we are faced more and more with opportunities to engage people who are living directly and overtly in opposition to God, His Word, and creation order. For example, we may have a same-sex married couple living next to us or in our neighborhood. Recently, I was at a business, and I saw one of the employees who was obviously gender-confused, a male behaving in every way like a female. I thought about what this person needed. They needed to accept their gender at birth identity and stop rebelling against God and biology. That's what they needed. And they really do need that. But reflecting on Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, notice that our Lord did not say, hey, woman, you change first. First of all, you change your sinful lifestyle. And get cleaned up before you come to me. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say change first. 
he engaged her as she was, a filthy sinner, and offered her life. The employee I saw at this business need to change. They are rebelling against God. There is a day of judgment coming. But really what they need is Jesus. They need to encounter Jesus. And me putting up a barrier to insulate me from their lifestyle would also prohibit me from perhaps being that means of presenting Jesus to them. While Jesus never put up any barriers, we do. And we need to ask God to give us a heart for not putting up barriers. For sinners, a heart that seeks to engage sinners where they are for the purpose of modeling and declaring the good news of Christ's gospel to them. First and foremost, that's what they need. They need Jesus. And while we're asking God, maybe we need to ask God to forgive us for the barriers that we have erected. Jesus' heart for the mission of his church is that his disciples would share his heart for engaging sinners. But second, a great great crowd came to him, verses 7 and 8. This great crowd that sought Jesus was also received by Jesus. And this points to Jesus' heart for the world. The late John Stott said this, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. You heard the passage that read from Psalm 96, often called the, the Great Commission of the Old Testament. Listen to just three of those verses already read once again. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. God's heart is that his worship would take place amongst the nations of the world. Our God is a global God. And his heart is for his worship to global worship of him. And then in Revelation 5, that was our profession of faith today. It's where John has this glimpse of, of eternity in, in heaven. It shows God's heart for the world. It's on full in this song that the four creatures and the 24 elders sing. Again, I'll just read a few verses. And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take this scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed for God every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. How exciting! Our God is a global God. His church is to be a global church. His disciples are to be global believers. 
We are to have a vision for the world. And as we come to Mark chapter 3 and verses 7 and 8, we find Jesus' heart for the world. His heart, as we have just read from Matthew, from Psalm 96 and also from Revelation chapter 5. The world symbolically sought Jesus in verses 7 and 8. All sorts of people from all sorts of places made up this great crowd. Yes, there were people from Galilee where Jesus had been ministering. They were part of the crowd. They followed Jesus. And the crowd grew. People came from other parts of the Jewish nation, just south from Judea. We had people also from Jerusalem, south of Galilee. They were there by the sea with that great crowd. And then we find people traveling from beyond the Jewish lands, the, the Jewish nation. Idumea, which is south of Judea. They came from the lands of Perea, as well as the Decapolis, that is part of the Transjordan region, region west of the Jordan River, east of Galilee. They came from the coastal towns of Tyre and Sidon, which is northwest of Galilee, in the region of Phoenicia. Yes, symbolically, the world sought Jesus, and symbolically, Jesus received the world there by the sea, the sea of Galilee. And interestingly, we find Mark telling us that Jesus also traveled to some of these lands. Obviously, he went to Galilee. We, we read about that in chapter 1. In chapter, in chapter 5, he will go to the, the Transjordan area east of, the, of Galilee, chapter 5. In chapter 7, he goes to Tyre and Sidon and in Judea and and the Transjordan in chapter 10, and ultimately he'll make it to Jerusalem in chapter 11. And what I see here is Mark showing us that Jesus has a heart for the world. And in this passage, we see Jesus anticipating the mission through which he will call his church after his resurrection. And here's the mission First Matthew 28, 18 and following. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then just before his ascension, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power, Jesus. Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the end of the earth. The church's mission is to the world. And the Great Commission is not a great suggestion, as some have said. The 19th century pioneer missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, said this. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Every disciple is commissioned to make disciples from the nations as we go about our lives. And we need to see another aspect to this calling. He not only calls every disciple to be about the business of fulfilling the Great commission, but he also, and I think critically so, 
calls us to share in his heart for the Lord. It's just not that we go about doing our, our duty. It is we have a passion for the world. I asked at the beginning, do you have a heart for missions? We, we sang about God's glorious call engaging our hearts. The best way to be a global Christian is to embrace God's heart for the world that we find clearly given throughout Scripture and, in, and even in our text today. As His redeemed, we simply do not have an option but to share in that commitment, that passion for the nations. Our heart for the world flows from God's own heart. For the world. This does not mean that everyone is called to the foreign field of missionary service. God calls some, like our seminary friends that we all know very well here at Covenant, Pete and Ruth Mitchell. He called them to France, and they've been in France for many, many years. To date, God has not called Renee and me to the foreign mission field. Nor does he call most of his disciples. But he does call every disciple to have a heart for the nations. To have a heart for missions. To be passionate for the gospel going forth in the world. How do we have more of a heart for missions? I just have a few practical suggestions I'd like to give you. First of all, read missionary biographies. If you don't have any, see Derek, see me. We'll make sure you get a biography. Secondly, participate in praying for global missions. I'm convinced prayer does more to change us than anything else. So if you want to have a heart for missions, you start praying about it because that's God's heart for mission, and watch out. Give to financial support of missions. Participate in our missions program that really is throughout the year, and especially at our annual conference. Get involved in home missions like the step ministry here in Little Rock. Great way to get your mind off yourself onto the world. And if you don't think the inner city is a different world, just talk to, to Jeff. Learn about a part of the world and the work of missions around the world. Take advantage of the world coming to Little Rock. The world has come to Little Rock. We support international friendship, outreach, ministry, internationals right here in our own city. Participate in a short trip. I, I have found in my own life that I develop such a greater passion for the world when I go on a mission trip. And we need to begin those missions trips again. And if the Lord does call to the mission field, be willing to go. Our God is a global God and we must be global Christians with his heart for the world. The great 19th century preacher in Britain, Charles Spurgeon, captures this reality well when he said this, if there be any one point in which 
the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at a white hot or white heat, it is concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is in the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. Jesus had a heart for sinners from the nations. And by God's grace, may we share his heart. And third, when the great crowd heard all that was all that he was doing, they came to him, verse 8. Why did all sorts of people from all sorts of places seek out Jesus? They came with all sorts of needs because they heard that Jesus had healing power, that he was performing miracles, he was the miracle worker, even had authority over the demonic realm. Jesus' fame had spread well beyond Galilee to the neighbor and surrounding lands. It's, it's really hard for me, I think hard for us to conceptualize the the vastness of the crowd and the vastness of the needs in that crowd that as big as the sea itself. For those of us who have participated in some of our medical mission trips over the years, one thing stands out to me, that whenever the word would get out that an American medical team was setting up a clinic it was, it was often the case where a great crowd would come and keep us busy the entire day. And it was really fun and such a privilege to serve. The word got out. The people came with all of their needs. And I have to tell you that most of the time I felt like that we maybe were not even doing this, but it seemed like we were just simply putting a band-aid on a gaping wound. But perhaps the greatest medicine that those people received was not the worm medicine that we often gave out, but was being shown compassion in the name of Christ. Jesus had compassion for this massive crowd. He healed their diseases. He cured their physical maladies. It was such a large crowd, such a vast need present there that Jesus ordered his disciples to anchor a boat that was close offshore in case the crowd just pressed on him, threatening to crush him. That's how big that crowd was. They wanted to touch him. They wanted to be healed by him. But that little boat was not only for the purpose of the crowd rushing in. I think that there was another purpose for that as well. We read about this earlier in Mark, that Jesus' primary mission was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God that he had inaugurated and to call people to repentance in anticipation of his redemptive work that he would accomplish on the cross for the forgiveness of those who would come to him in faith. They came seeking physical healing. Jesus' purpose was, yes, to do that, but also to declare what they really need, needed, and that was forgiveness for their sins. 
The boat was not only a refuge, but it was also a pulpit for Jesus to preach the gospel of the kingdom that he brought. The greater need of everyone in that crowd, the greater need of everyone in this crowd today is for spiritual healing, is for the sin-sick heart to be healed by Jesus and his power. Verse 12 seems really odd to me, although in the context it makes sense in the sense that Jesus was constantly being opposed by, by Satan in the demonic realm. And so it makes sense he'd probably be opposed here. But how does, that, how does, how does this factor in to this boat and what I believe is Jesus showing us his heart for the mission of his church? Well, here's what I suggest we consider. While the demons named Jesus, they named him the Son of God, they correctly identified him. They were orthodox in that way. But their intent was, was malicious. As we considered earlier, the ancient world believed naming someone gave you power over them. And so they were seeking to have power over Jesus. And, of course, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he demonstrated that authority by declaring to or commanding the, the demons not to, not to identify him, not to identify him before the appointed time of his passion on the cross. But it's interesting that they used the name the Son of God. Previously, they used the name Holy One of, of God. But this, the Son of God, and I take that to point to Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, who voluntarily condescended to take a human nature, state of humiliation, in order to die on a cross and redeem God's people from their sins. And I take this to mean that, or the point to the fact that the greater need of that crowd was not their physical malady, but was their hearts. Soap, sin, soap sick and depraved. The provision of a boat as a pulpit was not only for Jesus to take refuge though he needed crush, it was more for him to mount the pulpit and declare the good news of the gospel that he would accomplish at the appointed time. Jesus demonstrated a heart of compassion for sinners as he did for the paralytic when he when he, he did what was most needed in that man's life, he said, your sins are forgiven. And then he healed the man. He called him to get up and to take his mat to validate his authority to forgive sins. Which is more compassionate, forgiveness or healing from lameness? Which was more compassionate by the seashore of this great crowd to heal all their diseases? were to call them to repentance in anticipation of Jesus' redeeming work. In a World Magazine article several years ago, the author distinguished between what, what the contemporary understanding, the cultural understanding of compassion is, which is give people what they want, with the biblical teaching on compassion is this, give people what they need. It's interesting, Jesus gave people what they wanted. They wanted healing, he gave it, he healed them. But he also 
was compassionate in the ultimate sense is that he was focused on what they needed. And what they needed was him and his redeeming work. What they needed is a, is a heart that was forgiven. And that's what all people need. For Jesus to deal with their alienation from God, atoning for their sins, redemption and forgiveness. And this is what Jesus has accomplished. Our Lord demonstrated a true heart of compassion. He, he gave the crowd what they wanted. More importantly, he provided what they needed. Forgiveness. Have you experienced Jesus' compassion today? Many of us here have. We, we know what it is like to be in sin and have it forgiven by Jesus. And we need to constantly be reminded to seek the compassionate Savior and to rest in His compassion. But you may be here today not having ever turned to Jesus, not having ever experienced His his compassion. And so irrespective of where you are, you know Jesus, you've experienced His compassion, you need to be reminded of it, you've never come to Jesus, you've never experienced his compassion, compassion, his compassion needs to be declared to you. I want to declare it to you right now in these words, not my words, Jesus' words. He said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus said, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Let me ask you, have you experienced the compassion of Jesus? It has been declared to you. It has been offered to you. Would you turn to the compassionate Savior and find rest for your souls? Jesus' heart for sinners from the world was to show his heart of compassion in meeting their greatest need, forgiveness. Have you received his compassion by faith? In conclusion, after seminary, Ray and I returned to our home church in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee to, to complete an internship and before coming here actually. And on staff was a former missionary. His name was David Martin. He served with the pastor, Don Hoke. He served with former members of this church who are now with the Lord, John and Mary Reed. He was a missionary in Japan. He served there with his wife, Jackie. Go back to Japan. But he made the most of his time in Knoxville. I would often go with him on evangelistic visits. He would just go out in the neighborhood, just knock on doors, and whoever let him in would hear the gospel. David had no barriers whatsoever. 
it was just an absolute joy to see him share Christ with whomever he could engage. I never saw David preach, and I love to hear him preach, without David weeping in the pulpit, not out of weakness, but out of joy for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and out of a broken heart for lost sinners around the world. David is an example of a man with a heart for the mission of the church. He was described to me as the Billy Graham of Japan. After his wife Jackie died, he went back to Japan to live out his days. He had a heart for engaging sinners, no barriers. His heart was for the world and a specific part of the world, the country of Japan. And David had a heart of compassion and and seeking to declare the good news of the gospel to anyone and everyone, gospel that everyone desperately needs to hear. David died in Japan some years ago, but he stands as an example of a man with a heart for missions. I desire for each one of us to have a growing heart for the mission of the church. A heart like David Martin had. But more, a heart like we find described in this text today that Jesus had. The heart the Bible declares that God has. Heart of overflowing compassion to meet the greatest need. It's his heart for the mission he has given to his church grow more and more in us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is true, and we thank you that your word is clear. And that you have called your church to be your ambassadors to this world. Father, our prayer is that you would help us to see that even people's sin should not be a barrier to us engaging them with the claims of Christ. Father, help us to see that our mission field is Little Rock, is our neighborhood, but it's more. It's the world. And Father, help us see that our hearts should overflow with compassion, to have a heart for sinners who need to hear the gospel, that we would have compassion to share Christ who will meet their greatest need. Father, grow us and mature us as a church, as a people, to have a heart for the mission of your church. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.